Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 28 is entitled, Letter of John to the Church of Smyrna. As recorded in Revelation 2, 8-11, John's second letter is addressed to the Church of Smyrna. As mentioned in the podcast on the letter to the Church of Ephesus, the number seven represents completeness, holiness, or perfection. Each letter follows a similar pattern. John addresses their virtues. He addresses their vices. He issues a warning if they do not keep the commandments. He promises a specific blessing if they do keep the commandments. Though the letters are intentionally written to represent the whole church, which is very new and under great persecution, both from the Jews and from the Romans, the letters are also meant to be read by all Christians as if they were written to each of us individually. All the promises given to the church as a whole apply to Christians individually. Though John is writing the letters, the true author is Christ. In the introduction, each letter reveals important information about who Christ is. All the saints are relatively recent converts that are being taught about the God whom they worship. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. We are given some of the titles of Christ. These things saith the first and the last. It brings to mind other pairs of words that teach the same principle, often attributed to Christ. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Isaiah tells us, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Isaiah 44, 6. Isaiah lists five of the familiar titles of Christ. Lord, King of Israel, Redeemer, Lord of hosts, first and last. One could also add the only God because of Isaiah's addendum. Beside me there is no God. First and last refers to the eternal nature of God. This particularly refers to Christ's specific role as Redeemer. In other words, besides me, there is no Redeemer. Throughout his teachings, Christ makes it clear that he and the Father are two separate beings, and that Christ came to earth solely to do the will of the Father. All that my Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John six thirty seven through 40 The final phrase in John's introduction is the description which was dead and is alive. That, of course, refers to Christ's death and resurrection. Though no one was inside the tomb at the time of Jesus' resurrection, after his resurrection, he appeared to many of his followers. In addition to the six recorded women, included Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the apostles, there was one group of at least 500 who were privileged to see the resurrected Lord. The truth of the resurrection is extremely important to understanding the scope of the atonement of Christ. As recorded by John, we have the following conversation between Jesus and Martha, 
the brother of Lazarus, just before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. John eleven twenty three through 26 Perhaps we have all been frustrated some with the economy of words in the Bible. We always want more explanations. In the letters, John is not definitive. He picks out the salient points. In listing the virtues of the church of Smyrna, John writes, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. A lot is included in the short phrase, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. In our day, we have sort of softened the word tribulation. Tribulation originally meant misery, wretchedness, agony, torture, torment, trial, ordeal, calamity, catastrophe, or disaster. It is obvious that the Christians of Smyrna have undergone serious persecution, perhaps even martyrdom. The early saints lived during the time of the opening of the fifth seal. In describing the fifth seal, John writes, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. Revelation 6, 9 The Christians of the Church of Smyrna were probably among those martyrs. They are also obviously suffering from tremendous poverty, perhaps because of the persecution. In a great insight between our perspective and God's perspective, Christ teaches a peculiar principle. In the depth of their poverty, he declares, But thou art rich. Christ, of course, is teaching us all where we should place our values. Notice the teachings of Christ regarding wealth. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew nineteen twenty three. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. Luke one fifty three. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Luke six twenty four, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Luke twelve twenty through 21 Christ teaches the kind of riches we should seek for. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. 1 Timothy six eighteen through 19 Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? James 2, 5. In other words, we are only rich if we gain eternal life with Christ. Of course, Christ does not say rich people cannot gain eternal life. He says it is harder because their hearts are often drawn to their riches. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
In the letter to Smyrna, John does not list any vices. We know, of course, that the Christians in Smyrna were not perfect. However, it appears that their works were manifold, and their vices not pronounced, as with some of the other churches. It was Peter who said, And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4, 8 One forms the idea that the good works and sacrifice of the Christians of Smyrna override their weaknesses. However, in the letter, John issues a strict warning because their suffering is going to increase, not diminish. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. For me, that makes the letter to Smyrna stand out among the others. Here is a group of Christians who have already suffered tremendously. But rather than promises of relief, they are told that the persecution will increase. Clearly, these are Christians of great faith. Put yourself in their shoes. You receive a letter that says, Although you have been faithful, you have suffered tribulation and poverty. And by the way, it is going to get worse. The devil is going to cast some of you in prison that you may be tried even harder, and the tribulation will last ten days. They know it is coming at some future time, probably in the near future, but they aren't told exactly when. But the added phrase, by the by, don't fear any of these things. That is certainly a test of one's faith. There is some comfort, I suppose, knowing that it will have an end. But you have to admire those good saints. They are a model for us all. That makes the promise to the saints of Smyrna even more poignant. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The blessings of those who receive a crown of life are great. Isaiah tells us, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteous thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be crowned of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Isaiah 62, 1-3 The Apostle Paul said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8 Peter tells us, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. 1 Peter 5, 4 Not only will they be given a crown of life, John also adds, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. The second death is the most dreaded death of all. Since all will be resurrected, none will suffer a second physical death. The first spiritual death refers to the fall of Adam, when Adam and all his posterity were separated from God. Adam and Eve walked regularly with God in the Garden of Eden. But that privilege was taken away from them when they were cast out. Physical death means that the body is separated from the spirit. Spiritual death means that the spirit is separated from God. The purpose of the atonement of Christ was to help us overcome the first spiritual death. 
Remember one of the titles given to Christ by Isaiah in the scriptures quoted above was Redeemer. It refers to the gift of the atonement in which Christ redeems us both from physical death, which is a free gift to all of Adam's posterity, and more importantly, in which Christ redeems us from spiritual death, making it possible for us to return to the presence of God. Can there be any greater title than Redeemer? To redeem means to buy back, pay in full, ransom, emancipate, free or extricate. Often when we redeem something, we make the final payment. It is for that reason that Christ suffered and died for us. He made the final payment for our sins, thus satisfying the law of justice. Without Christ's redemption, there would be only one spiritual death because it would have been permanent. We would have been forever under Satan's power. If you recall, the reason God put cherubim and flaming sword to guard the way of the tree of life was to prevent them from living forever in their sins. Death was a necessary part of the redemption process. Christ allowed us to die to free us from Satan's grasp. He gave us the resurrection to free us from the first physical death. We cannot choose not to be resurrected, but we can choose not to be redeemed from hell. The second death is reserved for those who choose not to be redeemed, or who choose to remain separated from God, or as the scriptures say, remain in their sins. John describes those who suffer the second death. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 21, 8. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 14 through 15. The saints of Smyrna are promised that they will not be hurt by the second death. In other words, they will be in paradise with God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Revelation 21, 4 Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation 26 In the letter, a condition is placed upon all those who are not hurt by the second death. Christ said that he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. To overcome means to endure to the end, and of course that is the hard part. I am often reminded of the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time, when it falleth suddenly upon them. Ecclesiastes 9, 11-12 We are told in Ecclesiastes that the preacher is King Solomon. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Ecclesiastes 1, 1
It doesn't seem practical that King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, was talking about the medieval wheel of fortune, where we are ruled by chance or luck. It seems more logical to assume that Solomon is saying that time and chance are on everyone's side. The words are literal. Time and chance happen to them all. Those who seize the time and the chance are the ones who finish the race. In other words, those who endure to the end. They are the ones who receive the crown of life which, of course, is eternal life with Jesus. In Revelation we read, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Revelation 21.7 A good thing for Christians to keep in mind in these the last days is that John is known as the revelator for a reason. Speaking to Peter, Jesus said of John, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. It is legendary in Christianity that John will tarry on earth until Christ comes a second time. The letters to the churches have two audiences defined in Revelation chapter 1. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. One audience, obviously, is to the saints of his own day. The second audience is to saints in our day just prior to his second coming. The letter is particularly poignant, for modern Christians can also hear the Savior saying, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Christianity is growing more and more unpopular. It is being attacked in the very highest offices in the land. The First Amendment is being ignored and twisted to permit curtailment of religious freedom rather than protecting freedom of religion. Ten days could be both literal and figurative. The number ten is frequently used in the Bible. It is also seen as a complete or perfect number. Significantly, we have Ten Commandments, which according to James is the law of liberty. We need to look to the Ten Commandments for safety. Like the saints of Smyrna, we are living in times of trials dangerous opulence, and devastating poverty. And like the saints of Smyrna, we perhaps should also heed the warning. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation. Peter calls tribulation the trial of your faith. In fact, the words of Peter are significant. That the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. 1 Peter 1, 7-9 All seven letters contain the phrase, he that overcometh. In other words, he that endures trials and tribulations until the end. But we too can take comfort in the words, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. The holy prophets and apostles never lost vision, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.